So I want to start now with 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. This is what God's Word says. Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from our Father, but they are from the world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what God pleases will live forever. Now, we're going to take on two incredibly difficult chapters today out of the book of Revelation. And at the end of that, we're going to ask ourselves this very important question, where is my heart? Where's my heart? Is my heart wrapped up today in this world and everything about this world? Or is my heart wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, we're in Revelation chapter 18, 16, and 17 today, or I should say 17 and 18 today. We were in 15 and 16 last week, and if we had been reading the book of Revelation in chronological order, you would read chapter 15, 16, and then chapter 19. Chapter 16 is the last judgments from God being poured out on the earth, the seven bold judgments, and those are followed with the second coming of Christ, which we read about in chapter 19. But in between chapter 16 and chapter 19 inserted are chapter 17 and 18. And the reason for that is that chapter 17 and 18 are kind of looking in the rearview mirror back at the seven years of tribulation. They're focused on what is called Babylon. Babylon is this broad description for the one world way of life, the one world religion, the one world government that's in place in the seven years of tribulation under the rule and the reign of the Antichrist. Now, chapter 17 of Revelation focuses on the, ru the ruin of the religious aspect of Babylon. Chapter 18 is going to focus on the ruin of the political or the economic aspect of Babylon. So let's start with chapter 17, which is the fall of Babylon's religious system. Now, first of all, just be aware of this. Satan is not opposed to religion. As a matter of fact, uh, Satan likes religion as long as it is not built upon the Word of God and around the Gospel and around Jesus Christ. He does like to take God's Word and twist it and distort it and manipulate it for his own purposes. And let me also say this, just like Jesus has a bride called the church, in the tribulation, Satan also is going to have a bride. You might call his bride the anti-church. She's not referred to by God as a bride, but rather God refers to the bride of Satan, his church, in tribulation as a harlot or a prostitute. In some translations, even use the word whore. Those terms are biblical metaphors for false religion, for idolatry, or for people who had professed their faith in Christ and fell away because they never truly knew him. The word for that is apostate. So let's look, look closer now at Satan's bride, the anti-church, or the harlot. And the first thing that I want to say to you is, I, know, I want you to notice the power of the harlot. The power of the harlot. Look at chapter uh, 
17 here, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now that phrase, seated on many waters, is actually interpreted for us down in verse 15. Jump down to verse 15. The angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So the first thing that we see here is that this is a global religion during the time of the tribulation. It's worshipers, it's peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages that are all following this religion. It's not only a global religion, but it's a powerful religion. You might have noticed that both in verse 1 and in verse 15, it says that this harlot is seated on the waters, which are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. That's language. Being seated over them is language for ruling or for power. So the bride of Satan, this church of Satan, is in a position in the tribulation of universal and religious power. And the power of this satanic religion even extends to the most powerful of world leaders during that time. Look at verse 2. "...with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk." In other words, the most powerful of people, all the way down to the least powerful of people will commit spiritual fornication with this religion. And what I mean by that is their affections and their allegiance is going to be all for this anti-church, for this religion of Satan instead of to God. The world will be completely deceived by Satan by his demonic host, by the Antichrist, by the false prophet. The world is going to worship them, and the world is going to join itself to them economically and socially and politically and militarily and, yes, religiously. People will give their hearts and their souls to this religious system. They will be, as it were, intoxicated with this one-world religion. So that's the power of the harlot. Secondly, I want you to see the prosperity of the harlot. Verse 3 says, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. The angel carries John away so that he can get a closer look at this woman. And he says, And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So this woman, the bride of Satan, this religious system, is seated now on the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is giving this woman strength and prominence and prosperity. With the judgments of God now being poured out on the world, people, instead of repenting to God, are going to further rebel against God, and they're going to turn to find help in something else that is supernatural. And so they're going to turn to the religion that's being promoted by their new world leader, the Antichrist. This religion will appear to be one that promises them comfort and ease and prosperity and safety and security. Verse 4 says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. In a time of great difficulty in the world, this religion is going to display a unique prosperity. 
And it's going to attract the world to itself. So what have we seen so far? We've seen the power of the harlot, the prosperity of the harlot. Now third, look at the abominations of the harlot. The abominations of the harlot. Verse 4 continues saying, Holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abomination. Babylon in the Bible, in the Old Testament, was the first city where people had tried to build up a tower to reach into heaven. From then on, people have, a, have tried to ascend to heaven apart from the grace of God. But as you know, that cannot be done. And yet, there is this tremendous satanic draw on people that convinces them that they don't need God, that they can do life on their own, apart from God, on their own terms. And in the tribulation, this harlot is going to draw millions and millions into this trap with her unholy passions and her abominations. So we've seen the power of the harlot, the prosperity of the harlot, the abominations of the harlot. Now fourth, I want you to see the persecutions of the harlot, the persecutions of the harlot. Verse 6, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. This woman, this religion, this bride of Satan is going to seek to convert the entire world to herself, but she will kill those or try to kill those that she cannot convert. Her thirst for blood is so shocking that John says he marveled greatly. In other words, he was astonished or bewildered, perhaps even a little bit frightened that this powerful woman who could attract so many to herself was at the same time drunk with the blood of men and women who had followed Jesus Christ. Now I want you to see, fifthly, the explanation of the harlot. And it gets a little boggy here, and so we're going to try to just get through this the best way we can. Verse 7 says, But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. And there's quite a bit of debate about what this means. But I think that this means what we've talked about before. There's going to be, for the Antichrist, some type of fake resurrection. At some point in the tribulation, I think it will appear that he's dead. Perhaps he's been assassinated. But then it will appear that he's alive again. This is, I believe, simply going to be the Antichrist imitating the resurrection of the real Christ. And at this point, then, he's going to be possessed by a powerful demonic spirit that's going to come up from the bottomless pit. And that's what I think that phrase means. It was and it is not and it is to come. I think that's referring to the Antichrist. He will be on the world stage and then it will appear that he is not on the world stage anymore, but then he's going to make a comeback. He will come back then, and he's going to come back with tremendous demonic power. And the beast, the Antichrist, he's the power source for the harlot. He's the power source behind this one world religion. Verse 9 says, This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman 
is seated. This is again a picture of being seated in authority. Some take this to mean that this religion is centered in Rome on the seven hills. Rome is called the city of seven hills. I, I'm not, I don't know about that, but verse 10 says, They are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. Now, remember, this angel's talking to John at the end of the first century. At that time, five great world kingdoms have fallen. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and the Greeks. The great world empire that is, at the time of John getting this vision, is, of course, the Roman Empire. And the other empire that has not yet come is the empire of the Antichrist. So this woman is seated in a power that is really the culmination of all of these past world powers. It's all of them wrapped up now into this one great world power. Verse 10 goes on to say, And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven, and it goes to destruction. The, the beast is going to be the ruler of the seventh and great final world empire. The first three and a half years of his reign will largely be one of great peace. Then he will appear to be dead, but will come back, and then he will lead what's called here an eighth empire. The reason for that is the final three and a half years of the Antichrist rule and reign will be completely different from the first three and a half years. It'll be a very different kind of rule, a very different kind of empire from the one in the first three and a half years. And then verse 14 says, then he will go to destruction. Look back at verse 12. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast. These ten kings are going to rise up to power as part of the Antichrist empire during the tribulation. Their rule, these ten kings, their rule will be very short-lived. Metaphorically here, the text says it will be for one hour. Verse 13 says, These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them for he is lord of lords and king of kings and those with him are called and chosen and faithful what's that talking about it's looking forward to chapter 19 of revelation to the battle of armageddon we'll be there hopefully lord willing next week so what have we seen we've seen the power of the harlot the prosperity of the harlot the abominations of the harlot the persecutions of the harlot the explanation of the harlot now see this the destruction of the harlot, the destruction of the harlot, verse 16. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. At some point, these ten kings and the Antichrist are going to turn on this religious system. The text says in verse 16, they will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. Now, why is that happening? Why would suddenly these Ten kings and the Antichrist turn on this satanic religion. Verse 17 says, For God has put it into their hearts to carry out His purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So it's God that's behind this. He puts it into their hearts to destroy this religious system. 
so that all of the worship and all of the power would now be on the beast himself. Verse 18 says, And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Some think that this religious system will be headquartered in Rome. Others think that it will literally be headquartered in Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. The woman, the bride of Satan, is identified with whatever city it is that she's headquartered in. And God's going to orchestrate the demise of religious Babylon by causing it to implode upon itself. The Babylon of chapter 17 is religious. It's the end of the empire's religion. Now, the Babylon of chapter 18 is political and economic. It's the end of the empire's capital city. That's what chapter 18 is about. So let's go there. The ten kings... They began to hate religious Babylon. Of course, they destroyed her, but they love political Babylon. They love economic Babylon, and they're going to weep when she's destroyed at the pouring out of the seven bold judgments that we read about last week. So let's quickly, real quickly, we're going to just read through this and look at the end of political and economic Babylon. And first, you're going to see the reasons for Babylon's destruction. Verse 1 of chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven. This is the reason for her destruction. And God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day." death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. That's the reasons for Babylon's destruction. Now see the reactions to Babylon's destruction. Verse 9, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep and horses, chariots, slaves, that is human souls, everything in other words, 
Verse 14, the fruit for which your soul longed is gone from you and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. You see this? They had put all their hopes in Babylon, in this system. Alas and last for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out. They've lost everything. All their chips were in on this system in the world. Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Now notice the results of her destruction. Verse 21 says, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Listen, Revelation chapter 17 and 18 chronicle the end of Satan's global empire. And every man and woman whose hearts, whose lives were wrapped up in that world will be devastated. They will grieve because they will have lost everything. You know, in so many ways, we, you and me, we're living in Babylon today. This world and everything that it is constantly offering us is the seduction of Babylon. No, the system of Babylon hasn't yet fully gelled. It is well on its way, however. It will fully, completely gel in the period of time we call the tribulation. But already, right now, the spirit of Antichrist and the attraction of Babylon is all around us. And church, we need to consider this today. Love for this world and for its ways, cannot coexist with love for God. Love for this world and for its ways will do nothing but push out love for God. The more we love this world and the things of this world and the pleasures of this world and the possessions of this world and the pursuits of this world, the less, the less we're going to love God. And it works the other way too. Love for God will push out a love 
for the world. The more we love God, the more we delight in God, the more we commune with God, the less we're going to love this world and its ways. So here's the question I told you we were going to ask ourselves. Is your heart today wrapped up in a world that is soon going to pass away? Or is your heart wrapped up in the Lord Jesus Christ who lives forever? How can you know? Let me ask you to consider these questions as we close. Who is the center of your life? Who is that? Who's the center of your life? Who do you believe owns all your stuff? Who do you believe owns all your stuff? Whose glory are you living for? And whose agenda are you focused on? The way you answer those questions will tell you where your heart is. Is it wrapped up in a world that is soon going to perish? Or is it wrapped up in Jesus who lives and reigns forever? Let's pray. Lord God, we don't want to look like Babylon. We want to look like we belong to You. We don't want to think like Babylon. We want to think like You. We don't want to act like Babylon. We want to act more like You. But God, we so easily get drawn into this world. And as we find ourselves asking ourselves these questions, Holy Spirit, would You give us the grace to tell the truth to ourselves, about ourselves, in this moment? That as we see the final ruining of this world and its ways, that it would cause us to remember that we should live with our hands wide open before You, God. That our identity and our passions should not be wrapped up in this world, but in Christ and in Christ alone. The Holy Spirit, would You work in our hearts today Make us more like Jesus and the citizens of His kingdom that You've called us to be and less like people who have been intoxicated by a broken and fallen and perishing world. We ask this in Jesus' name.